What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Thoughts by the Ville the podcast. Of course, I am your host, DeVille Di. Today, we have a guest, um, an author. Would you call yourself a finance uh, consultant, or how would you, how, what title do you like? Uh, well, I'm a mortgage originator by trade, and uh, my new business called the Core 7 Referral System, I guess I would be called the founder. The founder. Mark Mayoka. Now, first of all, how you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. Thank you, Omar. Awesome. I want to say thank you, and I appreciate the gifts that you sent me. The book uh, and the brownies were, I definitely enjoyed the brownies. Um, Mark sent me a, his book, What's Your Rate? And I've been dabbling through there. Um, haven't really gotten to the meaning of it the way I want to, but I've been dabbling into it, and I'm impressed, honestly. Thank you, thank you. We uh, it's a it's really it's a kind of a re-release. We re we released it in two thousand and eleven, uh, and it reached uh, number five on Amazon as it's at its yeah at its highest. Um, and it's it's been good. It's uh it's it walks people through the uh, through how to buy a home and secure their financial future uh, in a kind of story like way that's easy to uh, easy to understand. And that's what I liked about it, how it's not just information, information, information in a class setting type of read. Because a lot of times we'll get those books and, you know, a, a chapter two in, it gets kind of boring. And you just you put it down and you say you're going to pick it back up, but you never pick it back up. Oh, I know. Absolutely. We, You know what? That happens with any book. We, uh, we Because of that, we put, to, we put together a reference guide. Uh, you know, so anybody who, you know, does buy the book who wants kind of a way to skip through. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we we gave them a reference guide so they can kind of just use it as a textbook. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I saw that. Well, um, before we get into actually what it is that you do, I like to get a little background of who you are. What where where are you from? What was life like for you growing up? What's your story? My story, uh Wow, that's a my story of of who I am and how I got into the business, or just kind of kind of the humble beginnings. Let's go. Let's start with the humble beginnings, if you don't okay. mind. Well, I was born in uh, in born and raised in Newton, Massachusetts, and uh, you know I went to school in Newton. Um, had a very nice childhood. Great big, uh, great big family, and uh, you know lots of lots of good memories. Um, you know, growing up, uh, went to Newton schools. Uh, then I, uh, after I graduated, uh, um, high school, I went to a, a few different, co uh, colleges chasing a, chasing a baseball dream, um, which didn't pan out, but it was a lot of fun. So, uh, I ended up, uh, graduating from the university of Massachusetts, uh, at Amherst. Okay. So what was it that pushed you? to make you want to get into helping people, you know, learn and understand finance and home buying and things like that. Was it a moment in your life? Because, you know, most of the time we grow up and we think, you know, 
I want to be a ball player. I want to be a musician. I want to be a, like, I never, the career that I'm in now, I never would in a million years told anybody that I thought that's what I was going to grow up to do, but I thoroughly <laughs> enjoy it. Um, what was it? What, what, what was it that made you want to be the one to, to be able to help people with the uh, finances and home buying and things like that? You know what? It's probably the same story that you're, you're, uh, you're thinking, uh, back in, uh, what was it? It was back right around late ni- 1990s. Um, I wanted to finally get serious about my, my career. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to be a, a stockbroker. Love the, <laughs> love the movie Wall Street. And I said, that's what I want to do. It looks like a cool job. And I was, you know, studying and reading about the fi- finance. And uh, so then I went to Arizona to be a stockbroker. I, I probably am the only person in the world who ever went to Arizona to be a stockbroker. Everybody, you know, would probably go to New York City or to uh, to Chicago, but I went to Arizona. Yeah. Um, I got there, and within a couple days and one or two interviews, I decided I definitely did not want to be a stockbroker. So, uh, so now I was out in Arizona. I was panicking a little bit. Um, and uh, I remember I stayed up for two straight days just sending out resumes just to get any kind of um, a job, just to get started. And uh, I sent out, I remember I didn't sleep for two days. I sent out about 50 resumes and I got two back, one from Motorola and they were sending, it, sending me a notice saying they received my resume. And one from a, um, a pyramid scheme, network, network marketing uh, thing that I went to. And, and that was, uh, I'm sure you can understand how that went. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was in panic mode. And I reached out to a, uh, my cousin lived out there. And her husband uh, was, a, was a successful guy. And uh, he said to me, he said, well, well what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like a job where um, the sky is the limit for my income if I'm good and I work hard. And he said, uh, you want to be a loan officer. And, uh, and I had no idea what a loan officer was. I thought it was, uh, you know, I was going to be carrying a gun and, and guarding the bank or something <laughs> like that. I had no idea. Um, but so, so he got me, got me a job and I started, you know, working and, and, and uh, in the mortgage business and uh, learning the system and learning how it worked, going to classes, going to seminars, uh, learning the business. And I, and I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I said, if if I was back in Newton, Massachusetts, where I have a network, where I know everybody, I said, I might do, I might do pretty well at this job. Um, and I was, uh, I was missing home. Uh, so, you know, I, I jumped in my car, drove four days uh, back, to, uh, back to Newton. I was in Arizona for five months. And I drove back to Newton, and I was a mortgage originator uh, for a company called North American Mortgage Company in 1998. And uh, then I just, you know, just really started liking the business. And uh, it's been 21 years as a mortgage originator. And then, as you know, I started this, uh, I, I created kind of a system and I, I, I formed a side company that uh, uh, helps mortgage professionals, real estate professionals and financial professionals uh, create structured networking groups um, to cool. generate referrals. So and that's the story. For people who may not know, what exactly is a uh, mortgage originator? In a very simple way, that is the person you call when you are buying a home 
uh, to see if you can get the money to finance the home. So if you're buying a $500,000 home and you have, you know, $50,000 to put down and you need to know where you're going to get the other 450, you would call a mortgage originator. Okay. Now, um, now this I ask just for educational purposes for people to give some, maybe give somebody a leg up if they're thinking about it or, or whatever. What, like, what are the steps uh, quickly? You know, you don't have to give a whole uh, 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 thesis of, of, of what I'm about to ask you, but what are the steps it takes to become a mortgage originator? Like, is there a class? Is it, you know, uh, some certain licenses that you need or stuff Absolutely. like that? Um, well, back when I started, all you needed was um, was a heartbeat and the ability to fog a mirror. <laughs> uh, you didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, but since the crisis in 2008, there's there's some mortgage licensing and and uh, you know some learning that you have to go through. It's it's not super hard, but you need to get you need to be hired by a firm, which obviously isn't so easy anymore as a rookie because there's a lot of liability. And you have to learn guidelines and product, but you start with a firm, um, and then you uh, you go through what's called M- NMLS, and you take the exams, and you become licensed um, in each state that you're going to originate loans. Cool. Now, in your book, I I, I noticed you said um, something to the nature of like everybody everybody should have a financial team. Is that right? Yes. Why is, it, why is that important for everybody? When everybody you mean, like everybody, like the guy from the guy who works at the Kroger to the guy who is the, the VP of the Kroger, everybody needs a financial team. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of it ties back to, to a family story uh, that's very personal to me. Um, when I was 16 years old, uh, my dad passed away of cancer. Oh, man. Oh, um, yeah, I was definitely. Yeah, it was devastating. I, my um, my mother actually is um survivor of colon and breast cancer. Oh, good for her. She's a fighter. Yeah, it is. He had uh he had lung cancer, which the you know the recovery from that is 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 not very good. Um, he fought, but it it you know it didn't go well. Six we we got the diagnosis, and then six weeks later he was gone. Mm. Um, and he had no life insurance. Mm. You know, and my parents were doing very well. They were doing well at that time, um, and you know, I had still had a still had a pretty good life. But uh, you know, any any money or real estate and the business and all that, um, you know, was gone. And the 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 ironic part about it was they sold insurance for a living. Whoa, my mother. Yeah, so you know, that kind of said to me, oh, "Wow, this is the the cobbler's kid." you know, that the the kids have no shoes, you know, it's one of those stories where, you know, even though they were doing well and, you know, they, they had a hole in their financial plan that everything going great. Um, but there was one small hole in the financial plan. So years later I get into the mortgage business and my mom and I were talking and she, she always spoke so highly about her mortgage professional that she worked with to buy their first home. And I said, you know, my, you know, I don't know the guy. I said, but I think he was terrible. And she said, why'd you say that? And I said, well, you know, he had multiple times. You had two homes. You did multiple additions. That's at least four loans that you did. And he had an opportunity to tell you that you should review your finances and your coverages um, 
with your with your financial advisor who would have advised them to buy insurance mm-hmm. um, you know multiple times and he didn't do it and my mother said to me she goes it's probably because he thought we were all set because that's what we did and after doing so many loans for people I mean I've taken easily over 10,000 applications in uh, in my career I rarely see someone with a full financial team so to kind of that that's kind of this is a kind of a long way to answer your question but yeah take your time there's, there's a couple reasons i mean for real estate you know real estate agent everyone thinks they just need a realtor to buy and sell a home but a really good realtor will give you advice on the value of your home when you need it there's a bunch of things where you need to know that um, they'll help you run numbers the right way for investment properties i mean it's really good to have a realtor on your team that's looking out for your real estate needs um, the mortgage professional, what I do, everyone thinks it's, you know, just look at for the mortgage, but there's, there's reviews, there's um, mortgage management, you know, getting a phone call from me when, when rates are down and you don't know it, but you could save some money on a monthly basis, you know, and you get it. Just everybody in that seven has a role in the financial plan and, and putting everyone in a good spot. And that's the uh, the core seven that you speak. Core about. seven, and and they collaborate together for what's best for the for the consumer. Because, for example, if you just have a real estate agent, then you may get too heavily invested in real estate, and other aspects of your life are 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 not in a good spot. So the balance and the teamwork is key. And like you said, even someone who doesn't have much they don't realize that, you know, they need to protect their income unless they're injured. They, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you pass early, you know, estate planning, having a will, I mean, there's, there's so many little things that even a basic plan can be pretty complicated. Um, and I mean, like, like there's, there's just a lot of things that can happen. Um, some more than others, like a financial advisor is probably the quarterback of the entire mm-hmm. team. But, all the other pieces, um, you know, will fall into place. Like I think my mother had a great accountant, but I think they went to this accountant for everything. Yeah. So he was an expert on taxes, but then the rest, he probably knew enough to be dangerous. And obviously he wasn't looking at the insurance piece, uh, which was, you know, a, a, a very, it ended up being the most important piece of the financial plan. Yeah, and that was something that I slept on for a while, the uh, the life insurance, because, and it was something that my um my sister actually put me on to. Shouts out to Kim Elder, my big sister, because I always just leaned on the um the life insurance that was provided through my job, and then right. I bought a a second policy, but it was also through my job, and she had to hammer into me the understanding that. If you lose this job, you still you lose these. So you need right. to have something outside of that, you know, um, on your own. So if, if the job goes away, you still will have some life insurance. Life insurance is definitely, definitely monumental because a lot of us don't understand the financial burden that, that hits you once a family member passes away, uh, you know, and then now you end up scrambling and, and, and trying to gather that together. I see all the time where uh different people will be having 
GoFundMe's or or cookouts or fundraisers trying to just to cover the the burial of their loved ones, you know. You're right. You're right. It's a financial plan that's all encompassing is is something that you know it 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 baffles me sometimes about the the lack of planning. Like for example, Prince did not have an estate plan. Mm-hmm. Either did Elvis Presley. Either did Marilyn Monroe. I mean that. You know, you would think that they would, with all the money they had and all the all the royalties and everything, that they would have had, you know, all their ducks in a row, and they didn't. I mean, it's yeah. it's, no. it's it's not just the regular person; it's the one with all the agents and the the big entourage and and people around them that should be looking out for them. You know, everybody everybody needs it. Yeah. Now, when you say an uh, estate plan, now I. I know some of these questions may seem kind of, you know, redundant because a lot okay. of times we seem we we assume that because we understand something that everybody else does. Right. So I like to like I said when I get someone who actually has has the knowledge to spread, I like to try to get it to from from the guy who may not have even graduated high school all the way up to the guy who may, you know, be doing the exact same thing that you're doing. What is what do you mean by when you say in a estate plan? Well, it's kind of uh, the, the the best way that now remember I I'm the mortgage guy, so I'm an expert on that side and everything else. I know I know enough to be dangerous. So yeah, um, the way that I've heard it explained best is an estate plan is almost like a voice for you when you're gone or when you can't voice. So for example, a basic one would be just getting a will, healthcare proxy, and a durable power of attorney. And basically, the healthcare proxy and the durable upon, uh, power of attorney just kind of, um, they tell people what you want to do. If they, they tell, let's say you can't speak and you're on life support. Mm-hmm. They give instructions on what to do with you. Like, it was funny. I have a funny story. I did my estate plan and they asked me, you know, what happens if you're on life support? You know, how long, uh, how long do you want to stay on it? And, and I said, you know, for as long as you can keep me on it, you never know when you're going to get a when you're going to find a cure. And my wife looked at me and she goes, you really want us to go through all that heartache for all that time? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to pull the plug on me. But, um, she was right though. We did agree to like, uh, you know, the, the, the estate planner said, you know, typically once someone is, uh, you know, on life support for more than, I think it was six months. Um, it usually doesn't turn around. So I said, I think, I think we said a year, you know, give me a year on life support and then, uh, then, uh, you know, pull the plug if something happens, it's, it's your voice. If you're, you know, um, if you die in a, like a plane crash or something, mm-hmm. you know, who, who gets your kids? Um, you know, who, uh, you know, who's going to care for this person? You know, what are they going to, it's literally the voice and the instructions of exactly what to do when you pass. But there's also um, like probate and deciding who gets like your home mm-hmm. that can be expensive. It can be tedious. And if you plan for it, um, it can pass through, you know, it can pass through probate and be really seamless um, for what's going to happen with your assets and all of that stuff. And 
I look at it like if someone who you love has passed, you know, the last thing you want them to do is have all this financial burden and being on the phone with attorneys and, yeah. you know, while they're mourning your loss. I mean, it's, it's, that, that's one of the things that's missed a lot. I, I read a stat that like 50% of people don't have wills. I mean, that's just simple. Like if I die, you know, here's who gets this and here's who gets that. And yeah. being a mortgage guy, I see estate sales a lot. And there'll be like, um, you know, seven or eight siblings all around the country and they have to sign off on everything. And it's really, a, it, it's painful sometimes. So having this plan in place, very detailed of exactly what's going to happen is, uh, is definitely something everyone should do. You know, it's, it's your voice when you're gone. It's your yeah, voice when you can't talk. Yeah, I, I had to look into that myself because, you know, I have a, an ex-wife and a daughter from uh, that marriage. And then I have the relationship in that I'm in right now. And I had to come to the realization of, because I'm one of those people like it or not. I'm one of those people that say, that has the stance of, I'm not getting married again. I'm not as far as signing any paperwork. I'm not, you know, we could do the whole ceremony and all that type of stuff. And, you know, in, in the higher powers eyes, we can unite, but I'm not signing any more paperwork like that. But, um, so I had to come to the reality that I did need it to be laid out, like what happens specifically, because now I have a, a daughter who is entitled, in my eyes, entitled to a, a, a portion of whatever I accumulate and leave behind. And then I have a family now that is entitled, in my eyes, to a portion of whatever I accumulate, leave behind. And so I was like, I do have to be specific in laying this out as to what goes where and who gets what, because we're not going to have that, you know, <coughs> that battle at the end where after, while we're trying to, after I'm, I'm, I'm laid to rest now, the family goes to war to figure yeah. out who gets what you know, and who takes over what assets that I have. You're hundred percent right. And you never know what if, you know, that's where like, uh, you know, if somebody is divorced and then the other person remarries you don't know what kind of opinions and, you know, anything that that other person is going to bring into the, uh, you know, into the new relationship. So, yes, the more you have it laid out, you know, it's it's it. That's the one that really, really let me sleep well um, at night. But here's a tip on estate planning. This is kind of a core seven thing. So. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, we train we train the teams to do thing in a to do everything in a systematic, predictable way that not only generates referrals, but benefits the client. Uh, and one of the things that we noticed about the estate planning industry, and I would never tell an estate planner how to do their job because I don't, I don't know their job that way. But the one void that I saw was the, was the, um, was the upkeep. Mm -hmm. So they'll do an estate plan and do a great job on it. Uh, and you'll pay for it. But typically in that industry, there wasn't much of a, like a follow up to make sure everything was adjusted and, and uh, you know, maybe changed based on, on new circumstances. Uh, and a lot of the reason was because they would charge for the plan and they didn't want to charge any upkeep fee. And, you know, so, so what we've said is we've, we've literally told the estate planners we train is they have to have some kind of follow-up plan. So you do the estate plan and then there's like a, even if they charge just $50 a year, 
to stay on top of things, to have a review, to have a review call. Because, I mean, you could let, – let's, let's just give a hypothetical example. Let's say you put in your estate plan that you wanted your, your brother and his wife, if you have a brother, your brother and his wife to take care of your kids if you're gone, mm-hmm. right? You do the estate plan. It's all recorded. That's what's going to happen. But as you go along, your brother, you know, maybe goes crazy. And now you're like, wow, I don't want, now I don't want him to raise my kids if something happens to me. There needs to be some kind of a reminder, some kind of proactive work that the estate planner does to make sure that it's adjusted every single time something happens. Like I'll give you an example. My, my, um, my youngest is on the uh, autism spectrum mm-hmm. and you know, I had to proactively reach out to my estate planner and say, you know what, I need to know what to do here. What, you know, and it was a very simple thing that we had to do to totally make everything fine. But I had to reach out to say, Hey, you know, we have something that I want to make sure is covered. And it would have been nicer if every single year I would have paid an extra, whatever the fee is yearly to do kind of a review to make sure if there's anything that changed in my life that we could make some, some smart adjustments. Cool. Yeah. And I, and I actually have a, a nephew that's a, in that autism spectrum. And I tell you what, he could play the hell out of some drums. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, they, they have some definite talents, but you know, there's, there's certain things that need to be addressed, obviously yeah, that, that definitely. can't be taken for granted. Definitely. Um, so, to get more into the, um, I guess your wheelhouse of the, the the mortgaging and so on and so forth. Now, people, a lot of people look at the home home ownership, buying a home, as you know, securing your piece of the American dream. So, with you being the uh, mortgage originator, what advice? You know, you don't have to give away all your jewels, but what advice would you have for that first time home buyer, that person who's looking to grab their piece of the apple? You know, that's a great question. And it's not easy because this mortgage origination, it's not, you don't have to be brilliant to do it. It's not rocket science, but there's so many moving pieces. So if I had to say, okay, here are the, the couple things that you should do that are super important. Number one is get a real pre-approval. Now what that means is like if you call Quicken Loans right now and you say, I want to get pre-approved, you fill out an online application, they will issue you a Mm pre-approval. That is not what I call a pre-approval. That is what I call what's called a pre-qualification. That's just a phone call, an opinion. It might be right, but all the details haven't been analyzed. Yeah, like kind of like when you get those those offers in the mail, like the credit card offers is like you're pre-approved, and then when you go to apply for it, you have to give so much information. It's like if you were, if I was pre-approved, then shouldn't you know this already? Right, exactly. And uh, and so, you know, a real pre-approval means this to me. Last two years, W-2 forms, last two years, tax returns, all asset and bank statements, pay stubs, full credit pull, and a full 30 to 45-minute mortgage consultation regarding, you know, the process and 
how we can make this mortgage and purchasing real estate fit into your overall financial plan. That to me is a real pre-approval that it will, you do that first and that will really prepare somebody going through the, through the process in many ways, not just for understanding. It gives the lender, uh, the bank, it gives the bank the ability to be more certain that you're definitely going to get this mortgage. So you can, you can be more aggressive with your offer. You can negotiate a little tougher. You could offer a quicker closing if you wanted to. It all depends on the situation, but this way, you know 100% uh, that it's real. And the one unfortunate thing is there's no law in our business that, you know, if you get this amount of documentation, you can put pre-approval. This much has to be called the pre-qualification. You can do a pre-qualification and call it pre-approval. Mm. So, so that's number one. Number two, um, and that's why I named the book um, – you know, originally what's your rate? Um, because I think that I always just say that's, that's really not the most important question to ask. You can get in actually more trouble asking that question because sometimes the lowest rate with the wrong program and structure can be more expensive than the right rate working with the right team with the proper plan and structure. So that's, that's number two is, you know, make sure you do your due diligence to make sure you're getting competitive pricing but really look at everything like, is this the best team? Mm-hmm. What's their value? What are they going to do for me after this loan closes? Is there a relationship here? You know, there's stuff like that. And uh, the third thing, and I, I, I think this is the, the most important, and I'm, and I'm sure you can, uh, you can tell by, the, by our talk so far that this is, this is most important, is when you purchase a home, don't just stop at the closing. Most people stop and then they go buy furniture and then they don't do any other planning or thinking about anything until they maybe have their first child and they're like, Oh, I I need to protect. uh, I need, I need to start my college plan or I need insurance. Do that right away Mm -hmm. because the purchase of a home triggers so many other financial ramifications. I mean, we've talked about you, now you got an estate, you own a, you own a property, you need to know, you know, you need to plan for that estate. Um, you need to start thinking about, okay, what if, what if I was injured at work? You know, how am I, am, am I going to be able to pay this, this mortgage? Um, you know, if you're married, you know, what if something happens to me, you know, how are we going to replace my income now that I'm not there anymore? You know, there's just so many things that you have to that you have to plan for that you at least need the information. Um, in the book, it takes you through the whole process of this family doing just that. They they buy the home, which is usually the first thing somebody wants to do is they want to purchase a home, and then they start they invest in their 401k and they uh, they then look to purchase a home, um, and then they don't do the other stuff until it's, it comes to that point. So two things happen. They, they delay getting the other stuff, which is probably more expensive. Everything's more expensive when you delay it. The older you get, the more expensive the life insurance. And cause you don't, you know, you don't qualify for it. You're not as young. Yeah. You're not as, you know, that, that that's normal. Yeah. They like don't show up when you on the way out the door. Trying to, right. Right. Yeah. So you get everything in place up front you talk about the future plan, 
and and you just really get the team in place. The other thing is, is if you wait, you end up working with a bunch of different people. Even if you get everybody that you need on the team, the whole core seven, mm-hmm. they might not be working together. They might not be collaborating. I mean, there's, I do the mortgage, so I'm, I'm focusing on your, your, the debt side of your personal balance sheet. The financial advisor, they're doing things for your asset side to grow your, you know, your wealth and, and your assets. We both can be giving great advice, but if we're not on the same page, it could actually be bad advice. You know what I mean? Like if, yeah. Let me give you just a quick example. If, if your financial advisor has you in very aggressive growth stocks like you're they're looking for you're looking for the long for long-term growth you're not going to liquidate anything you know so you're 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 taking you're invested in in more aggressive funds for long-term growth well if you're aggressive on your financial side there's no reason for you to do an adjustable rate mortgage on your mortgage side then you're then you're at risk on both sides of your balance sheet do you see what i'm saying yeah. Why not do a fixed rate so you don't have anything to worry about, no changes on the mortgage side because you're being aggressive on the other side? And vice versa. If you're very conservative, well, then maybe you can take a little bit of risk and do an adjustable rate and have a little little lower payment and, and go that way. But they need to be talking. They need to be in sync. And it's all for the benefit of the clients. It's it's all about balance like anything else in life. Yeah. So your you're whole – your financial team as a whole needs to actually be a team and working in unison for your yes. best financial out- outcome is what you're saying. Exactly. Cool. Now, what do you have going on? You and, and your company have going on that uh, uh, is out there to help people build this financial team. Well, that's a good question. So as a mortgage originator, I just kind of follow the process that we teach in our, I call it my side company, but it's, it's, it's could be the, the, the first company. What, um, what's the name of that company? It's called the core seven referral system. The core seven. I like, I just wanted to hear you say it. Cause I like the way that sounds. The core seven. <laughs> and, and basically what we do is we teach those seven people how to create these mastermind groups. Like, you know, there's a lot of networking groups out there. The thing that, that's all it really is, is a networking group specifically for, for those seven professionals. Um, and it's backed by a methodology, meaning there's a process to it. So it's like, you know, the, the realtor says this after the buyer meeting and introduces the financial, uh, the mortgage originator, the mortgage originator, you know, takes them through their process and suggests talking with the financial advisor. And it really just kind of, is a systematic way to to introduce the clients to the right people on the team who are working together on their behalf so that when they purchase a home, they'll have a full team. And, and, and it's not just when they purchase a home. This is when, you know, they do anything. And this team collaborates together. We have monthly meetings, uh, one-on-one partnership planning sessions, um, you know, we give reminders of when to, when to do things. And we, we're not a coaching company, but we, we do a monthly call that, that coaches these teams on, on how to, uh, you know, answers their questions and just make sure that everybody's working together 
you know, generating referrals, but also creating a, uh, a lot of benefit for the mutual client. Yeah. So if someone was interested in um, contacting you to, uh, you know, be a part of this whole Corset movement, you know, to get your help, how, how would they find you? Very easy. Just go to um, mycore7.com. the number seven, dot com. And uh, right there you can, you can go to find a group which you'll just find if there's one already existing in the area that might have an opening, you can start your own group. Uh, you can schedule a free consultation with, uh, with us to talk about some stuff. Um, there's some educational videos. Every, everything's right there on the website. And uh, we're just an email away. I'm at Mark M at mycore7.com. And uh, your book, what's your rate? Where can they find that book? Right on Amazon. Just uh, the best way to find it would be just to put my, my name in there. It's Mark with a K, M-A-I-O-C-C-A. Uh, and they can pick that up. And if you, if you send me, uh, the, you can also get the, um, well, here's actually, I'm sorry about that. If you, uh, um, I, I like to read the physical book. So I always direct mm -hmm. people to Amazon. I, do too. But, I, I definitely like to have a book in my hands. If it's on the, my, my iPhone or on my computer screen, I'm probably never going to read it. You know, I'm, I'm, ex I'm exactly like you, but if somebody's more, uh, you know, wants just kind of like an ebook, it doesn't, doesn't need the, the physical book. They can go to, um, um, hold on. What's it? It's, uh, my seven.com backslash team T E A M. Uh, and they get a, uh, a free, uh, ebook that they can, uh, that they can, you know, just print and read it there at their leisure. Sweet. Now, listeners, I highly suggest that you go and get this book because, as I said, I openly admit I haven't finished the book, but from what I've read, I enjoy it. And it's informative, and it's informative in a way that is not boring. I'm real big on not boring. I have this thing, Mark, that I call the Peppermint Committee. You know why yeah. I call it the Peppermint Committee? The peppermint peppermint is the boringest candy in the in the world. <laughs> right. That's the boringest candy. When you back in, I don't know, you know, in Massachusetts, but over in I was raised in the southern region, uh I was North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. So we went to church a lot, whether we wanted to or not. <laughs> right. And when Grammy would go in her purse to find you some candy to make you easy while you were at church, the boringest candy that was in that purse was the peppermint and yeah. you never wanted to get the peppermint the butterscotch was good the little hard uh strawberry hard candy was good that peppermint though it was like i'll take it but uh. <laughs> is that the round ones with the red stripe or the actual candy cane even mark knows what's the boringest candy in the world peppermint <laughs> i'm very anti-boring and this book is definitely not boring it's educational in a fun way you know and, and it definitely can help you out now mark one question that i always ask everybody before i i let them get off of my show what is your message that you want to get out to the world this is your time take your time what message is it that you want to get out and leave behind to the world that's an easy one. Uh, it's that uh, 
I might, I hope I don't butcher the quote, but it's a quote that I uh, live by, by uh, um, Zig Ziglar is if you help enough people get what they want, you can get exactly what you want. I think it might go the other way, but if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get everything you want in life. That's it. Just help others. I liked it. Thank y'all for tuning in to the VLDI Thoughts by the VLDI. Make sure y'all go out and get Mark's book. Make sure y'all go over and check him out. That Core 7, it's, it, it's dope. Look, I don't, as many interviews as y'all listen to me do, there's been very few times where you've actually heard me say, Some, this is dope. And this book is dope. <laughs> I like this book. And I think that you will enjoy it too. So make sure y'all get a copy of whether you get the physical copy, you get the ebook. Make sure that y'all get this book. What's your rate? You're going to enjoy it. Thank y'all for tuning in to the VLDI. Thoughts by the VLDI. I love each and every last one of y'all. You got any closing statements you want to make, Mark? No, I just want to thank you so much for having me on the show. I really had some fun. Hey, look, anytime anybody send me brownies, they're on the show. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show too, man. I really appreciate uh, um, um, all the information you've given me, and I definitely uh, appreciate those brownies. Awesome. Thank you, Omar. All right.